0: Good morning, and welcome to Crime Over Coffee. We're your hosts. I'm Erica.
1: And I'm Abby. Today, we're going to tell you about the infamous and technically unsolved disappearance of the Beaumont children. So pour yourself a strong cup of joe, and let's dive in. We would like to give a brief warning before jumping into this episode, as it deals with violent acts against young children. We will not be going into extreme detail outside of what is necessary to tell a story. We would advise listener caution for this episode. All right, Erica, guess what? What? (laughs) I've got another Australian case. I am not even partially surprised. (laughs) (laughs) This one's for you, Australia. So... This case today is about the disappearance of the Beaumont children, which a lot of people have probably at least kind of heard of. I've always known about it. It's a fairly popular one, famously unsolved. So I'm going to start with the day of their disappearance. So it was Australia Day, January 26, 1966. And Jane, who is nine, Arna, who is seven, and Grant, who is four, all siblings, were going to go to the beach for the day because it was super hot. Their mom, Nancy, had a lot of chores to do around the house, so she wasn't able to take them, so she was just going to give them some money and send them on a bus ride down there. It's about a five-minute ride, but I guess they'd made this trip before and gone by themselves often, and anytime I watched any interviews about it, it was another one of those things where nothing bad happened in the area, and... Kids would just go to the beach by themselves and it was no big deal.
0: Well, it was also 1966, so times were a lot different back then.
1: I agree, and they talk a lot about how Jane, the eldest one, was very mature for her age and responsible, and she was really good at looking out for her younger siblings, and like I said, they'd made this trip by themselves many times, so their mom thought nothing of it. Their dad, Jim, was a traveling salesman, so he was away working, so he wasn't able to take them as well. So around 10am, Nancy sent the kids on the bus and they were going to go down to Glenelg Beach in Adelaide. And she gave them just enough money for the bus ride there and back and then a little bit for some lunch or snacks nearby there. It was kind of like a like you see in a lot of beach areas where there's stores and stuff all around. Or even little food trucks, things Mm -hmm. like that. Okay. Yeah. So no big deal. They've done it before. And like I said, it was about a five minute bus ride. It was Two kilometers, a little over a mile. Some days they would have rode their bikes down there, but it was such a hot day that it just seemed like it might overheat them, especially since Grant was only four years old. I can't imagine you want him to overexert himself in the heat like that.
0: A little over a mile seems like a little far for
1: a kid to be bike riding, like a four-year-old kid to be bike riding. I kind of thought that too, but I guess they'd done it before, so maybe not too bad. I don't know, maybe um, they had a little wagon to put on the back of Jane's bike. Maybe. I'm just imagining, like, the four-year-olds that I know, and they would
0: give up five (laughs) seconds into the bike ride.
1: It would definitely take them a while to get there with Mm -hmm. all the stops. But there is this picture we can share I found. It's a cute one of all of them on their bikes, and it is really adorable. So he at least had his own bike. I know that much. But, yeah, uh, Nancy expected them to be back by one or Around that time, I think they said that she gave her money for lunch, but I think she was expecting them just to get a snack and come home and eat lunch. So she was watching the buses come back and the kids weren't getting off. And by 2 p.m. she started to actually get worried. And their dad had Jim had actually decided to surprise them and come home early from work that day but unfortunately came home to a frantic Nancy because the kids weren't home. And so he decided to go drive up and down the beach and around and see if he could find them. Maybe they just lost track of time and they were just having too much fun and hadn't made it back yet. But he doesn't find them. And by 5 p.m., he's at the police station filing a report, a missing persons report from 2 p.m. to 5 p.m., a three hour period before reporting it. I think I probably wouldn't have even given it that long.
0: (laughs) I mean, yeah, I don't I don't know how long I would actually give it in a situation like this, but I'm sure they were in that mindset, like nothing that bad is
1: actually happening and they'll just show up. They got on the wrong bus or something. Yeah, everything. I think That's what they probably expected. Everything was fine. Like I said, nothing happened in the area ever. There was not a lot of crime. They did not expect anything bad to have happened. They probably just thought one of the kids maybe like got hurt or something. And they, I don't know. But anyway, he's filing the police report at five. And within hours, this is like breaking news because everybody in this area knew nothing bad really happened. And it spread so fast. And there were police and search parties, and neighbors, and volunteers out looking everywhere for these kids, and it was one of the largest searches in Australian history. They even opened all the storm drains and flushed them out to see if they were in there, and drained an entire boat harbor, and got volunteers to walk through, like, in the mud and stuff, and make sure that their kids were in there or anything.
0: So they were really, really searching for these kids.
1: Oh yeah, it was huge, it was extensive, and I think it really just kind of touched everybody in a certain way and they felt for it. And when you watch the news interviews and stuff from the time, everybody seems almost just as distraught as like the parents, which is sad, but it's nice to see a community that kind of rivals around something like that. So police initially thought one of three things probably happened. Either the kid's Missed a bus and they were scared they're gonna get in trouble and they were hiding for some reason. I don't really buy into that one much. Or they thought maybe they drowned or fell into a collapsed sand dune, which I guess must happen a little bit around there. I know we don't have a lot of sand dunes around here, but I know there's one up at Lake Michigan in Indiana. There's a dune you have to be careful of because it does have that sometimes, which I didn't know this till recently, but sand dunes like move. There's like living and dead ones technically, not like in the way we know it, but like they shift because of the sand not being, I guess, maybe as packed close together. So like, like there's one called Mount Baldy and it doesn't have really any trees and stuff on it because it's shifting so much where some sand dunes have a lot of growth. I don't know. Have you ever been up there?
0: Yeah, I have been to the Indiana Sand Dunes. And I i mean, I've been to Michigan Dunes as well. So I've seen the dunes, but I've not seen, like, I've not noticed any of them moving. But there are some that have, like, the trees and bushes and stuff that are growing in them.
1: Just sounds like an absolutely horrifying way to
0: go. It doesn't seem like fun. I'm imagining, like, quicksand type <laughs> thing where it just, like, sucks you in. <laughs>
1: yeah. Everyone always thinks quicksand's gonna be a big deal, and then it just it just isn't. <laughs>
0: <laughs> do you wonder though, with the drowning theory, do they think that all three of them just drowned? Because that just seems a little, I think, really unfortunate if that's what happened.
1: Yeah, with the drowning thing, I think they probably thought that maybe one, like one of the kids, like Grant or something, kind of got caught, and the other girls, the older sisters, went in to save them, and something happened, but. With the beach and how populated it was at the time. And like I said, it was Australia Day. So I think that's similar to like a 4th of July here. Like people, a lot of people don't work and stuff. And it was probably crowded, especially since it was so hot outside. But I think maybe, I don't know. I don't think they bought into it very much. I know that um, you talk a lot about Jane being very careful with Grant in the water. Telling him that he can't go past his belly button. Making sure he didn't go too far out. So I think this kind of led police to believe that they were likely kidnapped. And that was really what they kind of dove into. So a lot of people came forward with supposed sightings, you know, coming to the police station, everybody, I think a lot of time people want to think that they have something to help, but sometimes it might actually hinder. So One of the um, sightings that's reported a lot is an elderly couple who saw the three kids at the beach. It was in the morning, somewhere between 11 and 1130 a.m. And this is where we really get the idea that maybe it was a kidnapping. So they saw the kids with what they say it was a tall man. He was athletic build, had a thin face. They always say thin face in the articles I read. So I don't I feel like that's a very specific look. You know what I mean? Not everybody's got a thin face. I say he has blonde or light brown hair and that he was wearing a blue bathing suit with a white stripe down the side and that he looked like he was in his 30s. And what they also report is that it seemed like the kids knew him, which brings up a theory that maybe this man had been visiting the kids previously on beach days.
0: That was my first thought, was maybe he was somebody that had talked to the kids when they had come to the beach alone before.
1: Yeah, and I really buy into that because a lot of the interviews with Nancy and Jim, they talk about how Jane was very careful and she she was shy too. And she probably wouldn't have just been talking with a stranger. And the elderly couple reports like the man playing with them almost like he was laying down and I guess the girls were jumping over him. Another woman said that she saw the three kids and they were with a man with the same description and they came up to her and asking if she'd seen anybody messing with their clothes and stuff that were on the beach while they were maybe swimming because I guess their Jane had a little white snap purse with their money in it and it was missing. So they were looking for it with the man, I guess. We do know that around 1230 at Wenzel's Cake Shop, which was a local bakery near there, with the beach where they were at, The an employee saw them come in, and he actually gave them some food. And at one point, Jane said she ordered something and then goes, and a pie for the man, which he didn't see a guy with them. But it's a weird thing to say if you're not getting it for one of, the, that's not really what you call a four-year-old boy, at least.
0: I don't think you just refer to anybody as the man. I mean, I would probably say, and a pie for... John, or (laughs) whatever
1: his name was. Yeah, well, and what's really significant about this is that they paid with more money than what their mom had given them. So you can conclude, especially since they supposedly lost their money, that they got their money from someone else, possibly that man. So something that investigators theorized is maybe this guy actually took Jane's purse so that they wouldn't have money and it would give Jane an even more incentive to talk to him if he's willing to buy them lunch and stuff in a fare for them to get home and which is what Jane probably thought
0: that would be a pretty smart like ploy to get the kids to talk to you
1: yeah it really goes into the theory that this was somebody who was methodical and maybe had been planning it out and like we said earlier possibly talking to these kids the times before when they had come to the beach. Another confirmed sighting we have of the three kids was from their mailman who saw them on the sidewalk right across from the beach just a little ways down and said hello to them. And they said a little back. They had actually known each other because they had had those interactions when she was delivering their post. And she said she saw them walk across the road and that was it. Originally, the mailman reported that she saw the kids at 3 p.m., but later said it was probably earlier in the day, maybe around lunchtime. Either way, they found no evidence of the kids. Like I said, it was one of the largest searches in Australia history at this point, And they couldn't find anything. Not even like, I don't know, like the purse or anything belongings they had with them and nothing really came of it and it became one of the most like infamous stories because they just didn't understand how three kids can go missing without a trace.
0: Yeah, I always find it crazy when a person just completely
1: disappears.
0: Yeah, not even one 3. Like well that that's a little <laughs> bit more but yeah,
1: just one is kind of shocking. Well, and it's something where you definitely think somebody planned it out because why else would Or how would somebody control these three kids without anybody noticing? You know, if you run up and try to snatch three kids, they're going to make a sound. And with a public area like that, you would think people would notice. Unless the bystander effect was happening and
0: they were just thinking like that happens a lot where you see something happening and they've done like social experiments where this guy actually goes and tries to kidnap children, but he, he talks to the parent ahead of time and approves it and he'll do things where he'll like try to bribe the kid. And be like, I have candy in my car. Do you want to come with me? Or he'll like just grab the kid and see if anybody says anything. And it's all with the parent permission. But it's kind of to really inform the kids of what to do in a situation like that. But it's also to see if anybody is going to try to stop and intervene. And in like a trial of like 10, only one time somebody intervened and like actually did something when... And actually thought that it was serious enough that they should step in and try to help the kid.
1: Yeah, I've got a couple of things off that. One, does the kid know? Because that seems traumatizing. <laughs>
0: so in the ones where the kid is like being kidnapped, it's like an actor. Okay. Um, so yes, the kid knows in that situation. <laughs> um, those <laughs> like, ones are like actor. Yeah. In the ones where like the guy is trying to come up to him and like convince him that there's candy in the car or to come get a ride with him, the kid does not know. And that wants to kind of tell the kids like...
1: If this happens in real life, don't go with them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And then also, how often do you see kids with their parents carrying them and they're like sobbing and yelling? They want to go back to whatever it is. Kicking and screaming Mm -hmm. and they're like, put me
0: down. Yeah. I mean, it happens. So that's why a lot of people are just like, I'm not going to involve myself because nothing that bad is actually happening. That's everyone's
1: mindset. Which is so sad because it's better safe than sorry. I mean- and I've heard of that before, especially, I can't remember the name of the case, but there's the, like, the famous one that started it where this girl was like murdered in a street and so many neighbors heard her screaming and didn't say anything. I cannot remember the name of the case, though. I've heard of, I can't remember it either, but I know what you're talking about. It's like the one that comes up whenever you look up the bystander effect. But there's actually another case I saw, too, where this girl was at a university library and got stabbed and murdered and nobody did anything saw anything I don't know it's a crazy one but that makes me doubt the bystander effect in this case and it's only because so many people in the community come forward after and are so concerned and involved with it and it 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 seems like a very woke community who maybe someone would notice that clearly people recognize the children and know them you know what I mean
0: my thought is maybe, what if somebody was from out of town and just visiting? Because if it is like 4th of July, a lot of family members will come and visit from out of town. So it may have just been somebody that was there for the day, saw something happen, and then went back home and never heard of the case again.
1: Yeah. And actually, with this case, there's a couple, I'm going to talk about it in a little bit, where people, things happen that people didn't think of or even acknowledge at the time. And then later on, they see like something on the TV and they're like, oh. Oh. <laughs> So, please go to firedeptcoffee.com and use our coupon code CRIMEPOD15 to support us, support them, help first responders, and get some incredibly tasty coffee along the way So we can move on a little bit to suspects. They really don't have any solid ones. Um, there's a couple that you can find that were convicted for different crimes in the area that maybe it was connected. So Bevan Spencer von Einman, which is quite the name, but he was an accountant that was found guilty of kidnapping, torturing and murdering 15 year old Richard Kelvin in 1983. And this was in Adelaide. So the same area from where the Beaumont children went missing. And there's a lot of issues with him involving child pornography. And he actually gets in trouble like in prison for I guess he was like writing child pornography, basically. I don't know, a gross guy. And so some people kind of try to connect him to the Beaumont children's disappearance. I mean, possibly, but there's no like definitive links between the two besides the Adelaide thing. They did see footage from the news at that time where there's a man in the crowd when they're watching the searches and they think it looks like this man, but they can't like I said, definitively say this was Bevan Spencer von Eiman. Another person they look at, his name is Arthur Stanley Brown, and they actually named him as a suspect in 1998. He had been charged with the murders of two sisters, Judith and Susan McKay. Susan was five and Judith was seven. But this happened in Queensland, and it's another one of those things where they can't really put him with the disappearances of the Beaumont children, but a lot of people theorize that he could have been involved as well. And that's there's some other ones too, and that's really how it is. It's just the case was so popular, and I think people just tried to connect what they could.
0: Well, and with three kids being taken, it makes you think that there probably was more than one person involved in the disappearance.
1: Mm Mm-hmm, definitely. This brings me to a documentary. It was done by Seven News, which is a news station. And the guy who looked into it, his name was Stuart Mullins. And he came up with this theory. And he is convinced that this man from the community where the Beaumont children lived is the one who took them and murdered them. I really recommend watching it. But I'm going to go through it because I 100% buy into it as well. So Harry Phipps was a factory owner in the area. He was a wealthy, respected businessman. Everyone kind of knew him and just thought he was this great guy he was super charismatic, involved in the community, kind of reminded me a little bit of John Wayne Gacy, how he was involved in like charity stuff and people had good views of him who knew him.
0: I don't think you ever want to be remembered as somebody that reminded you of John Wayne Gacy.
1: Yeah, and you'll you'll kind of see why when I get to it why he reminds me of him a little bit. It's really that connection of they live, they're able to compartmentalize their urges, I guess, and gross stuff away from their what they portray to other people. So he owned the Castelloy factory, I believe is how it's pronounced. And like I said, he was a wealthy man. So Stuart Mullins, the person who's investigating all this stuff, he tracks down Harry's son and actually does an interview with him where Hayden reveals a lot. The full interview has not ever been publicly released, but they have clips and stuff of it from this documentary. So Hayden talks about his dad and how he at home was this really violent, Disgusting man. He had abused sexually and physically Abused Hayden up until he was about 14 years old. And Hayden says the only reason he thinks it stops is because he got big enough and strong enough to defend himself. And he talks about wearing satin and how it makes him this different persona. And there's some books, I think there's a book called The Satin Man or something like that, where it was like he put on satin dresses, and then that's what he would wear when he was assaulting Hayden. Because Hayden talks about remembering hearing the swishing of the satin as he'd walk down the hall to his room. It's really just sad.
0: And terrifying.
1: Yeah. I mean, Hayden only really came forward years later when he was with his I think it was his second wife they were watching like a thing about the Beaumont children and she kind of saw a connection and she had already known Hayden's past but she was like I think you need to go public with this. So Hayden's telling all this stuff to investigators and he talks about how he actually saw the three Beaumont children in his Yard. He would have been 15 at the time in his yard with his dad on that day.
0: So does his dad match the description of the man that was seen at the beach?
1: Absolutely. So we will post this as well. We have there is a sketch that they got from witnesses of the man who was with the Beaumont children. And then if you look at a picture of Harry Phipps, they look very similar. so erica what do you think so initially looking at it
0: i didn't really see it but upon like further investigation and like really looking at each individual aspect of his face i see little pieces so the sketch artist i don't think did a great job the eyes on the man in the sketch are not even and that was really throwing me off but i think that the eyes are similar like they're small eyes and The nose shape at the very end is similar. I think the nose in the sketch is longer than the nose on the man. And then I think that like the lines from the nose down to like the top corner of your lips are like similar. But those are really the only things that I see that are similar.
1: That's quite a few features that are similar. But I noticed initially the wavy hair. Also, what I do want to say is this sketch is from witnesses who saw him at the beach, but probably, I mean, I doubt they took a lot of stock into it. I can't imagine remembering that well. If it were me who saw someone just at the beach playing with some kids, I wouldn't be like, let me look at that nose structure real quick. I'm just imagining
0: Derek Morgan sitting me down and doing like that, whatever it is where they make you go back and like put yourself in that place and really thinking through and I feel like maybe you could come up with something a little bit more accurate, but but I don't know. I mean, they probably really weren't paying that much attention. And I think that some of the features are similar, but I think that this face is a lot longer and thinner than the face of the picture that this man is. And that was something that you said that they really commented on was the thin face. So for me personally, I'm not 100% seeing it. And maybe I'm just the one that's crazy.
1: For those of you who don't know, Derek Morgan is from a TV show, Criminal Minds, and that's what she's referencing. I don't know that it's completely accurate to what happens in real life. But I guess we're going to have to agree to disagree because I see it enough, especially with all the other stuff like seeing the three kids in his backyard well yeah the other things
0: i think kind of go with it it's just if you showed me these two pictures side by side and said does the man in the sketch look like the man in the photo i would probably say no
1: we definitely want y'all to give us your thoughts this is leading quickly into another towel debate but i think too the sketch is what made people think of some of the other like people i met the suspects earlier in the area they kind of compare it because some of them are similar as well. So, I mean, everybody can look and think what they want with those, I guess. I for me, the eyes really did me in because they're they look the same to me. But who knows? And like Erica said, the sketch isn't it's not a piece of art. <laughs> it's it's a rough sketch and you can tell which I think probably is possibly throwing us off a little as well. That the eyes being uncentered is, I wonder if that's something they described or if that's just on accident because it's really bad. <laughs> but anyway, back to what Hayden was saying about seeing the kids. He said that he saw them go inside the house with Harry. I guess he was in like a different area. They're just talking about like a cubby house. I'm not sure if that's like a shed or something or what that means, but that's what he saw him go into with them. Or he was in the cubby house, I think is what it is. I imagine it's like a shed or something. I don't know. Do you?
0: That would be my guess. But I don't, I mean, people use weird terms for everything.
1: Hayden was terrified of his dad. He had no good things to say. But Harry, he did pass away in 2004. He was in his 80s. All this came upon after. So in the 2000s is when Stuart really looked into this and got investigators involved. Another thing, too, that I just forgot to mention, Hayden said he heard gunshots, about four of them, the same time. He says that the front door was Open, so he assumed the kids left. But he said that his dad always had a pistol with him, so he heard him shooting a lot, I guess, and didn't think anything of it. But it's a little eerie when you think about it, with the other items that we we're hearing about. Yeah, gunshots aren't always the best thing to hear. Well, I think it's interesting too. Like, what he—they're in a, a fairly populated area. I'm not sure why he was shooting a gun around there, but clearly he. Didn't have a lot of morals, so I don't know if the laws are different with that, too. Can you just shoot at, like, a target in town? Uh, nowadays, no. In 1960, I don't know. Ooh, that's a good thought. It's also Australia, so I don't know exactly yeah, what that, it's like there. Yeah, that's true,
0: because, I mean, I know here you need to be out of city limits to shoot.
1: Which makes sense. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, And I think that they're, like, even if you're out of city limits, there's still, like, different... Like I live at a lake, it's out of city limits, but I can't just go shoot a gun
1: there. Yeah. You know, there is enough traffic and stuff going around the house. I don't think he should have been shooting a gun, but that's a whole other thing. But Hayden heard him shoot about four shots. So I don't know if you, you want to connect that or not. I think it's a little weird. The timing's a little weird. If he did in fact see these children in the backyard with Harry, and then later he hears gunshots, and then the kids are missing. Yeah I definitely think that that's weird. Also after hearing about this seeing this these two brothers David and Robin Harkin came forward and said that this guy Harry Phipps had paid them to dig this hole at his factory and they did a lot of odds and ends jobs for money so it was like oh cool we're gonna get a little bit there so they said he was a prominent businessman and he brought them to their factory, which they identified as the Castelloy factory and said that the guy was really weird about it. He just sat there and watched them and said it had to be about two yards long, one yard wide and about the height of them. So, like an average sized man. I assume, I don't know if they were particularly tall and he was very specific about it being like this certain shape with like certain straight lines, I guess. It's, a, it's weird. Just don't know that that, looks the best for him no it's a little sketchy and what's notable is the factory has big fence around it so you can't see in and that was something they actually have david talking on this documentary about it and he says that he felt a little nervous he's like something the guy was weird enough he had bad vibes that he was like if something happens they're not gonna see us nobody passing by would because of the fence which is a I hate to use the word good place, but a hidden place to try and hide something you don't want found. So another thing that the documentary kind of says this connection is that Harry pays them about one pound note each. But that's also what Jane paid with at the bakery. And in the interview, Hayden says that Harry would often give out one pound note to people. Like that was his thing. I think I saw that maybe it equals like $25 today or something like that. I was going to ask that. But I guess it's relevant. And they noticed that this, they put a connection with this. I'm not sure how much of a connection I see with that. Like if someone just gives out 20s for odds and jobs and stuff, I don't feel like that's that weird.
0: It's one of those things where it's like in this situation, everything else is lining up. So it just kind of adds to it and, like, is more circumstantial evidence, but in any other case, out, an outsider looking in, they're not going to see that as something suspicious.
1: So with all this evidence that they have been compiling, they bring it to investigators, and in 2013, they do a dig at the factory, and nothing was found, but they base it off what David and Robin thought was the location, and then four years later, they looked at an old aerial view map of the factory and realized that something was different and they had the location wrong. So they decided in 2017 to do they decided they were going to dig then they I think they dug in 2018 officially in the factory area where they thought but I guess it was a it's a very large area and they didn't find anything other than like animal bones but they also did not get the whole area because It's expensive. You know, you have to pay for the manpower, all the equipment to do it. So they had to call it off after a certain amount of time. But Stewart and other people and investigators are convinced that either the Beaumont children were buried there at some point and moved, or they're still there.
0: Well, and it sucks that Harry passed away because now he – you can't really – investigate him anymore and even if the bodies were found there there's not really justice at that point
1: yeah and there are a couple other things where people after they see this they come forward so a woman came forward and said that she actually had been sexually assaulted by harry in 1979 a little like outside the factory in that area one other thing that Stewart did is he went to the house where Harry's wife still lived, which she's passed away at this point, and asked to come in and talk to her, which she obliges and lets him in. And I guess in the basement, she, he saw this little white clip purse down there, and he said it resembled the one that Jane had. And the wife was very nice and stuff up until he saw it and asked her about it and she was like she got all uncomfortable and said she bought it from a store the week previous but it had looked old and stuff and then she she asked him to leave and demanded that he was he shouldn't be there. I don't even know where to go with that. It kind of gave me a weird feeling, but I definitely
0: feel like that was the last thing needed to kind of prove yeah. that Harry well, did it.
1: Who buys a purse and then goes and puts it in their basement on a shelf? Do people do that? I don't. I use it. I To be honest, I don't remember the last time I bought a purse, so I don't have a good answer for that, but
0: I don't typically buy something brand new and then like immediately just put it somewhere and never use it.
1: Yeah. Well, either way, I mean, they never found any bodies or anything. We cannot definitively say that Harry Phipps was involved. This was all based off of Stuart Mullen's um, investigation that he brought in a lot of people. There's a lot of investigators and like forensic people who do believe in it and believe this theory and i think i buy into it too i definitely recommend watching that documentary which we'll put in our sources for you guys to check out but to this day the disappearance of the beaumont children is officially unsolved you can find us on instagram at crime over coffee or on facebook at crime over coffee podcast You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at CrimeOverCoffeePod at Outlook.com. If you would like to support us, go to anchor.fm forward slash Erica dash Abby. Donations to our podcast are greatly appreciated and go into making the podcast possible. If you like us, you can recommend us or give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to us on your podcast listening medium. Thank you so much.